Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. What bugged Hilda, what really got under her skin, was this feeling that anyone in her village who looked at her, they knew exactly how her life was going to go. I was super mad how people were like, will look at you and they will know like what's going to happen to you. Like you're going to get married, you have like kids and that's it. Hilda was 17 when I met her, this small, very serious, perpetually overcommitted high school sophomore. She was living in an apartment in San Francisco off a busy street. And almost everything about this life was miraculous to Hilda because it was so radically different from where she'd started out. I left school in Guatemala at sixth grade and then I stopped like for five years, almost six. So I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. She dropped out of school because her parents told her she had to. This was in a tiny village in the mountains of northern Guatemala. Hilda's parents needed her to earn money for the family. And anyway, her father said, there was no point in her getting any more education than that. She'd never use it. If you're a woman, like, you're not expected to, like, get an education, like, get educated. You're going to depend on the man. That, that's it. That's the uh, expectation from you. And I never agree with that. But she went along with it. She worked in the fields alongside her dad, her siblings, and the other kids from the village. They harvested corn, potatoes, radishes, making barely enough to scrape by. But Hilda was restless, one of those people who, for whatever mysterious reason, just know that they don't belong in the life that's been handed to them. A momentum had started to build up inside her. And when she was 16, she couldn't ignore it anymore. It was time to make a change, a leap. See if I have a different future. This is a show about leaps. And at first glance, Hilda seems like the most classic American variety, the immigrant who comes here in pursuit of a different, better future. But it's one thing to get here, it's another thing to be able to ask, who do I want to be now that I'm here? That's what this story is about. This is The Leap. I'm Amy Standen. Growing up in Guatemala, Hilda had an idea of what a different future might look like, different from what everyone in her village expected of her. She had seen other people do it, men in her village. A few years before, Hilda's brother had emigrated to the United States. Now he worked at a restaurant in San Francisco. He was sending money back to the family in Guatemala. Hilda wanted to do the same. She wanted to go to the U.S., get a job, support her family. So she told her parents, I'm leaving too. My dad said, you are, you are 16. You are like my child. How I can let you go? And I say that, please. If you don't let me go, I, I'm still doing it. And then after that, he say, okay, if you want to go, okay, it's fine. Hilda borrowed money from people in town, and she got a bus to Mexico, then to the U.S. border. She hired a guide to take her across. She says they walked for seven days. They were thirsty in the day, cold at night. Her feet bled. Just over the border, she was picked up by border control. She ended up at a youth detention center in Arizona. This was around the time that unaccompanied minors were starting to flood north from Central America, so there were special provisions set up for these kids. 
Authorities in Arizona called Hilda's brother in San Francisco, and because she was underage and on her own, they agreed to let her stay with him while her case went to immigration court. But there was a catch, at least as far as Hilda was concerned. She had to go to school. It's the law in California, and immigration authorities required it. This struck her as ridiculous. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I came here to work, and now you're asking me to go to school? Like, that's insane. The school district wasn't sure where to place her. After all, she'd been out of school since she was 11. She didn't speak a word of English. Should they send her to middle school at age 16? Or could she make it at a special school just for immigrants, a place called San Francisco International High School? Would she be able to catch up? And I'm like, uh, who cares? Like, if I don't catch up, I don't mind. I just wanted to turn 18 and forget about this. That's what I told them. And of course Hilda felt this way. She'd already made the leap she had set out to make, the only one she'd ever heard of. Like her brother, she had left the family, walked across the border on her own. What she couldn't know was that another leap was ahead of her, one in some ways harder and lonelier than anything she had ever set out to do, one that would mean leaving so much more behind. It's 3.15 at San Francisco International High School. Classes just got out. There are 380 students at this school, all recent immigrants. They speak Cantonese, Arabic, Mandarin, Tagalog, Russian, Spanish. Many, like Hilda, haven't been to school in years. Some have never used a binder, navigated a city, shared a classroom with a member of the opposite sex. This is the only high school in San Francisco exclusively for recent immigrants. And pretty much everyone here has a story about running away from something. A war, gang violence, economic hardship, Hilda's first day here was in 2013. It was horrible. She sat in classes where she couldn't understand a single word her teacher said. She'd forgotten how to write, how to ask for help when she didn't understand something. It was embarrassing. Today, two years later, she's speaking English, joking around with her teacher, Mr. Michael. He wants to know why she wasn't in art class today. Yeah. What happened to school? No, I had an appointment. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I had an appointment. Yeah, right here. Actually. All right, cool. And Madeline's going to be on your team now. No kidding. Right. Oh. In other words, she sounds like a high school student, learning about art and photography. You're going to do in Dorothy Lang, right? Yeah, yeah, the person who draw the picture right there. Yeah, who took the photograph. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're studying her and... Yeah? Right, so bring music tomorrow. This was not part of Hilda's original plan, not part of the plan to make money to send home. But it was the school's plan for Hilda, for all the kids like Hilda who come here. The idea is not just to teach these kids English, although that's part of it. It's to change the arc of their lives in a very significant way, to change their whole motivation for being here, to envision options in life that may have never occurred to them, that certainly hadn't occurred to Hilda, to be a scientist, an engineer, a teacher, a scholar, it's a sales pitch, in other words. It starts in Ms. Olivia's office. Ms. Olivia is a counselor, the first person students meet when they come to SF International. And because these are all immigrants, they don't just show up in September, like at a normal school. They arrive and start school all year long, new ones every week, referred by the district. Just to give you an example, yesterday I got an email saying that I had a new family, a ninth grader. So I called the family, schedule an orientation, they come. This family was from El Salvador. That's where Ms. Olivia is from. She walked over the border in 2003 with her mother. Nine years later, she qualified for DACA, a work permit for dreamers, whose parents brought them here when they were young. Eventually, she married an American, so now she has a green card. 
And when she meets these newcomer kids, she uses herself as an example. I'm like, look, you can actually go to college. And then I start telling them my story in like a nutshell. And they're like, really, miss? Ms. Olivia says that for many of the kids she works with, kids like Hilda, there's this intense pressure of being the one who made it out, while others in the family back home are struggling. Hilda isn't the only one who feels like she's letting everyone down by not working and sending money home. Ms. Olivia says she understands why a lot of these kids just don't feel motivated to be in school. Every school is going to deal with students who are disengaged, unmotivated. But now imagine that having a student who has to, you know, provide for their family abroad and they feel that they're a failure because they don't have enough education and they don't know a leak of English. And meanwhile, she's trying to convince them, those suffering family members back home, think about yourself instead. Focus on college. Focus on this wonderful, imaginary, distant future I'm trying to sell you on. In the long run, it'll be better for you and your family. What's amazing is that sometimes it works. Sometimes. Sometimes it happens, you know, in their 11th grade. Sometimes it happens in the senior year. And sometimes it doesn't happen. The kid turns 18, drops out, or maybe she graduates. But then she says, that's it. They have a family and they they have a job. For me, it's, it's really tough because then you're like, oh, I let them down. But in reality, it's their choice. This choice hit Hilda a few months after she arrived in San Francisco and began reluctantly showing up for classes. It was hard at first, but something had started to shift again. That momentum that she had started to feel back in Guatemala, it was still churning inside of her. But now it was taking her somewhere new. Despite her best efforts, Hilda fell in love with school. She was fascinated by her biology classes. She joined the soccer team, signed up for fellowships and after-school programs. All of this was inconvenient because it got in the way of her plan to earn money to send home. And meanwhile, she was so homesick. Yeah, but yeah, that's so hard to, to be away from them. You miss them. Oof, a lot. But yeah, I'm fine, I guess. She had started to see the school's logic. That sales pitch had started to work on her. Just to be in school, I like thinking that uh, you can have a future here, like you can have goals, like you can think about like a different life. A different life than every immigrant she'd ever known, from her brother who worked long hours at the restaurant and still struggled with English. As long as Hilda wasn't working, she was dependent on him. He paid their rent, he bought their clothes. This weighed on her. This is different, and I don't know if I deserve this. I don't know if this is for me. But she made a choice to stay. She threw herself into it. A local nonprofit got her a tutor who came to Hilda's apartment to work on her English. Hilda's life became a blur of books and classes. In other words, the school had done what it set out to do. It had taken a barely educated immigrant from rural Guatemala and turned her into not just a student, but a budding intellectual. By the time she was a junior, Hilda was an academic superstar at SF International, a straight-A student, the only student to do a feminist reading of the book The Interpreter of Maladies. And there were new people in Hilda's life, people with very strong ideas about what she should do. Oh yeah, we we talk about college a lot. Like Marion, the Stanford PhD student who was Hilda's tutor. I'm all like, yeah, you're going to college. You have no idea what this is like, what this means to go to college. Like, you will go. Yeah, so we're going to work on the SAT this uh, summer. (laughs) Hilda, meanwhile, was not so sure. How would she afford it? Could she really ask her family to keep supporting her for that long? I want to. I really want to. All my teachers say that I can do it, but 
I don't know, what maybe. Much of this hesitation was financial, but there was something else too. Hilda had started to notice that the closer she got to college, to a career, the farther she felt from her family, whom she still loved and was close to back home. Her life was changing so much, so quickly, and her parents, they were still in the same place they'd always been. About two years after arriving in the States, a judge granted Hilda a green card. There's a provision called Special Immigrant Juvenile Status that can help some young, undocumented immigrants get green cards. So Hilda was now a legal resident. She could go back and visit her family in Guatemala, and she talked to them on the phone a lot. Say hello. One day, Hilda and I called her mom, Maria. She and I were sitting in a radio studio in San Francisco so I could record the call. Maria was at home in the village of Venecia, Guatemala, with some of Hilda's younger siblings. Ah, Wrapping up lunch, getting ready to get grass to feed the animals. Maria said she remembered the arguments that she and her husband used to get into with Hilda about leaving. She was stubborn about it. We told her not to, but she insisted and insisted on going. The truth is that here, economically, there's not much. There's no work, no money. Hilda asked her mom, how does she picture her life now that she's here in the States? I imagine you're studying, or working, Maria said, but mainly studying. She sounded a little tentative. It was easier to picture Hilda's brother's life, working, sending money home. What Hilda's doing was harder to imagine. Hilda says when she talks to her family back home, they usually talk about her old life, not her new one. I talk to them about like, how things used to be, not how things are. I try to explain to them. I try to be as much connected to them as I can. She needs them. That's why she's here. They are my strength. That's what I'm doing this. Uh, but it's just super hard. We're taking a quick break. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Where we left off, Hilda had been talking to her mom, and you could hear this huge gulf between where she had started out and where she is now, and how hard it was to bridge that old life to the new one. And in a way, Hilda's a microcosm for this whole school. Hundreds of kids from these wildly different backgrounds, war zones, places where there is no school. And now here they are having this very American high school experience. 
It's Monday afternoon, band practice. Shuki, a junior from China, is singing the song Zombie by the Cranberries. It's a song about children killed during the conflict in Northern Ireland 24 years ago. A lot of kids in this school have lived through similar things. Like Ahmed, he came here eight months ago, a refugee from Yemen, which has been in a civil war since 2015. Some uh, airplane came and uh, bought the bomb and many bomb. People were flying over his city, dropping bombs, many bombs, onto civilian neighborhoods. Many people die in uh, many houses. Homes are destroyed. He sees dead soldiers, dead children. Many kids, some of them, I know him. I know who, who, who are they. That was a terrible. But his family escaped. This school, this city, San Francisco, is a refuge. Ahmed says one of the first things they did when they got to San Francisco was go to the beach. Ahmed said he didn't even take his clothes off. He just ran in. We go to the ocean and then we play. I take the water and then I push it to my uncles. <laughs> yeah. You splash each other? Yeah. They make me like if I'm free. Uh, like, I can't go any, anywhere, yeah. It's beautiful. For a lot of kids at this school, San Francisco doesn't feel like as much of a refuge as it seemed to be before the election. A teacher tells me that in February, a freshman girl's front door was kicked down by immigration officials in the middle of the night. They were looking for someone else, but her family is undocumented too. Now they worry. Ms. Olivia says all of this makes it a lot harder than it used to be to convince her students to keep coming to school. Her sales pitch, in other words, has gotten a little bit more complicated. It's very unrealistic if I ask an 18-year-old who thinks that he's going to get deported um, and to keep coming to school when he wants to work three jobs so that he can save as much money as possible so that if he gets deported, then he's going to have at least a place to land or some savings to, to bring with him. All she can do is encourage them to keep studying. Surely, she says, immigration officials won't be interested in the kids here at school who are trying to learn. I say it is. I think that if they're going to come after someone, it's going to be someone like criminals. She tells them what she's always told them. Education matters. The best thing you can do for your future is to be your best self now. Just be good and, and, and you'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, who knows? <laughs> As for Hilda, she has her green card. She's not worried about being deported. It's her senior year, and she has other things on her mind. I have applied, let me see, four, eight, 11 schools. I applied to 11 schools. I qualify because of my GPA. I qualify for UCs, so I applied for four UCs, UC Berkeley, UC Davis, UC Santa Cruz, UC Merced. Uh, CSUs, I applied She's heard to, back uh, from one place, Mills. It's a private, women-only liberal arts school in Oakland. It was her first choice, and she got in. They're offering financial aid, but she needs a lot more. She's chasing scholarships now. She's won three so far. None of this, the college application process, the scholarships, the acceptances, feels like anything Hilda can explain to her parents. This whole new course of her life is unfamiliar to them. I tried to explain it, but I don't go in depth. Like, I just tell them, oh, I, I was accepted, or I, I was denied, or this and that. I don't really explain them how hard it is, or what does it take. 
But that's hard, because you can't separate Hilda's pride and her accomplishments from how hard it was to make them. Learning English, getting straight A's, has required an unbelievable amount of work. So much studying, so many late nights. But it's not the kind of work her parents understand, so they can't really celebrate her successes either. She's had to figure it all out herself. I'm the first one to do this. I don't blame them. But still. Sometimes I'm sad, but uh, I also understand that that's how things are. I, I Yeah, I feel bad, like, uh, not being able to share with them how I felt. Like, after getting accepted to college that I've been working so hard. I only wanted for them to feel the same excitement that I, that I, how I felt, but they don't know how hard I have worked for it. But I'm also, like, aware that they are. They are. They are happy for me. Soon after she got her green card, Hilda went home to visit her family. She says she was the first person in the village ever to leave and come back. Without a green card, you can't easily do that. She sat her parents down. She told them, I've been ice skating. I've been camping. I've been on a boat to the movies. I went to Washington, D.C. All these things I have done. In a way, these experiences, high school, the whole thing, they aren't just Hilda's experiences. When you transform a kid like Hilda, you don't just change the kid. The ripples go much, much farther. Because of Hilda, her parents have changed the way they think about girls and education. They're letting her younger sisters stay in school. Things have changed. And now my sister, like, they're moving on. They have futures now, like, they have futures too. I never thought that I could say, like, one of my sisters is going to keep her, like, studies. Like, she's going farther. Hilda had to leave home. She had to come here. She felt she had no other choice than to walk across that border into the great unknown, to this place where everything was new and difficult. That walk over the border is likely to get harder in coming years. Maybe Hilda's sisters won't need to make it. That's The Leap. I'm Amy Standen. And I'm Judy Campbell. Seth Samuel composed the music for this piece. Our audio engineers are Katie McMurrin and Paul Lancor. Nathan Campbell wrote and performed the song you're hearing right now. Julie Kane edited this story. Our executive producer is Joanne Wallace. Special thanks to Rafael Gonzalez, Julie Kessler, and Paul McCarthy at San Francisco International for all their help with this story. If you haven't already, subscribe. We have new episodes coming out every other week. And while you're at it, leave a comment in iTunes. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Till next time. I was born to grieve. So circle your buzzers over the yawning deep. I bet all I got against your life that I'm gonna make the leap. 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 Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. 
They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.